Well, hello, and welcome to Theologizing Life with Anthony Cottrell and the one and only Professor Matt Tracy. Matt Tracy. And we have a very, a very special guest. Very special. Very special to Matt. Especially. especially. I mean, especially special to Matt. She's a good friend of mine, too, but she's especially (laughs) special to Matt. We have with us the one and only Lisa Tracy. My wife. My lovely wife. Hi, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. It's so fun. I after this, I'm like, I have to get find a reason to bring Emily on. Like, we need to have the wives of Anthony and Matt on. Well, we were we were kicking around the idea of like a Valentine's Day one where we just talk with our wives. I think that would be a great idea. So I would love that. Except this is going to be February's episode, so. Well, maybe it's just we are at home. Let's just go grab Emily right now and prompt you. Just (laughs) Just rewrite the episode. Yeah, no, Uh, Elisa wouldn't be ready for that. Well, we do have uh, we have Elisa with us. Elisa, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Matt doesn't really probably need to to hear this, but we like to ask our guest, and and you, even though you're Matt's wife, you are a guest. We like to ask them to just tell us a little bit about their story, and so. Yeah, tell our listeners a little bit about who you are in a nutshell. Wow. Well, first of all, you guys are making a dream of mine come true right now. Told Matt this is my podcast debut. So hopefully (laughs) it's not my first and only episode. The first of being out of podcast. The first of many. So I'm very excited to be podcasting with you guys today. But a little bit about my story. Wow. Well. Matt and I both grew up in the same hometown, so we're both from the suburbs of Chicago. We made our way out to Indiana for college, so I went to a small Christian college called Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, and I actually set out, I know, shout out to the hometown. Yeah. So I actually set out to do ministry in college, and I graduated with a youth ministry and a counseling degree. And I use both of them every day. So I'm, I'm very <laughs> grateful. No, that is not a joke. Anthony. Yeah, no, I believe I know. It's like anyone who is, has a job where they're around people, like a counseling do, degree would probably come in handy, right? Like, and when the people that you're around act like teenagers, <laughs> youth ministry comes in handy. Yeah, yes, exactly. You know, I, so I feel very well equipped for many things in life because of my degree. So I'm extremely grateful for grace, but I planned, I truly planned to either go into full-time counseling or full-time ministry, but I got a job as an admissions counselor right out of college. And I loved it. I really did. It was a perfect mix of people and counseling, but I also started to explore business and I love the professional setting. I found it, it was something I was good at. So while I was an admissions counselor, I got my master's in business administration. And now I found myself in a role called a program manager at a company called Pollywood. And we make furniture, outdoor furniture out of recycled plastic. So it is really, really beautiful stuff. And I get to work with retail customers like Target and Home Depot and help manage their programs so that when they sell Pollywood furniture, it all goes well. So that's what I do. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really nice quality uh, furniture. And like, I, I, I guess I knew you, you'd mentioned that you work at Target before, but I guess I didn't realize how, how broad your scope was. We were in South Carolina at a, uh, a resort, a vacation resort with Wyndham. And uh, there was a playground area and this like cafe seating area, outdoor area. And uh, I was looking and I saw your uh, Pollywood uh, logo uh, on all the furniture. I'm like, and so Emily, I was like, Emily, look, it's, it's, it's Pollywood <laughs> furniture. We know that furniture. It's literally <laughs> like when you look at a ty- make and model of car and you're like, oh, I want that car. And then you yeah. see it everywhere. That is Pollywood furniture. Yeah. <laughs> it literally just, just is everywhere. Last month I was preaching at Anthony's church and the, the podium that they use is Pollywood. Yeah, looked, it is. Like I looked at it, uh, just like as I was getting ready to go up on stage, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Bollywood. <laughs> like I didn't never notice that before. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I didn't think as much about it in Indiana because Bollywood's based out of Syracuse here in Indiana, right? Like that's that's home base, right? 
Oh yeah. Like our headquarters is in Syracuse and we opened a factory in North Carolina. Actually do not know exactly when, but yeah, oh. um, based in Syracuse and all made in the USA. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, you went to Race College to be and studied youth ministry and counseling. Um, we're, we wanted our, our episode. We're going to talk a little bit about like kind of faith and how our theology shapes like being a business professional. So kind of faith in the marketplace. But I'm curious just a little bit about um, the youth ministry and sort of like, yeah, why why was that your major? Why did you pursue that in undergrad? What was the um, inspiration or draw or uh that yeah. yeah what what inspired that pursuit I'm sure my answer as an 18 year old is much different than what my answer would be now but it started just with experience as a teenager and what helped me most I mean my youth ministry experience and my youth pastor was so important to me and so integral to I mean showing me who Jesus was for the first time and then helping me grow in my faith that I wanted to do the same thing for other people. So I started studying youth ministry and then added on the counseling aspect because I thought that's kind of where my gifts kind of bent, you know, I mean, I can do, I could do programming and events and things, but I thought the most important part of ministry was really that people aspect. So I also Mm -hmm. wanted to explore clinical mental health counseling to see how to integrate that into a Christian worldview, like being a Christian and helping people see Jesus and find healing with clinical practices. So that was both of those things I was really interested in and still very much interested today, just in my professional way of, I guess, playing all of that out, um, ended up being a little bit different than I expected. Yeah. And man, that's a, another episode we, we need to hunt down someone who works in that clinical field and, and we've done it. I have we've had guests before in the past, but I think it's, it can always be relevant to talk about sort of the intersection of mental health and spirituality. But um, yeah, it's really cool to hear about the impact you youth pastor had because all of us, actually all three of us have had uh, have spent our time in youth ministry. Absolutely. Um, so it's encouraging to hear that, like, I don't know. I guess that that time meant, or that time spent, uh, perhaps mattered in. Yeah, it, uh, I mean, it really does, and I mean, it might just be like one out of every five students that it matters to. But yeah. I mean, I mean, it it's created, you know, a lot of rock solid followers of Jesus. I'm sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. Sometimes you don't see the fruit of your labors, you know, until Seriously. later on. <laughs> yeah. The time that you guys have spent investing in students has not been wasted, even though they might act like they don't care. Yeah. You have made an impact on their lives. So thank you. Absolutely. Well, and you actually still, you still, you're not a youth pastor, but you volunteer with students at your youth group at church, right? I do. I'm still so passionate about it. And even though it's not my full-time career, it's still what I want to, what I want to do with my life. So yeah, I still volunteer every Wednesday night and sometimes on Sundays to hang out with the ninth through 12th graders and even middle schoolers too. And people literally tell me I'm crazy. And I just, I don't know. It's just a group of people that I really like. And I think are pretty cool actually. Once you get to know them. I agree. I like students and I'm trying to bring a little bit of my youth ministry days into my pastoral. We're doing a a family nerf night. I (laughs) saw the ad for that. Stop it. (laughs) I'm jealous. Like I want (laughs) to. yeah like there are so we have you know some families in our life group who have kids around our kids age and like all of us are like oh this would be kind of fun so we it sort of started out with like man a life group nerf war would be fun i thought man we could just make this like in the winter people get a little stir crazy you're cooped up inside so i thought like man let's do let's just do a family nerf war and because there's other families in our uh in our church like who have teenagers and young kids and our youth groups excited about it. There are adults like parents who are excited about it. So oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun, but anyways, Matt, I'm going to pass it. Uh, I'm going to pass it to you for uh, sure. the, the next question. <laughs> I've been, I've been pushing for my life group to go paintballing and it's just not gained any traction. 
And it's probably because I follow up with how I hate paintball because the first time I went, I got hit right in the mask and I couldn't see a dang thing. <laughs> and it was like freezing cold outside. I had the worst time. So I just follow up with that. And now nobody wants to go. And I was like, oh, that sounds it's terrible. Yeah. Um, well, to get us back on track. Um, so we, we talked about how you started out like pursuing a career in uh, ministry or counseling but in a Christian context, but you're now find yourself as kind of a, a business professional um, in a, in a secular workplace. Like you work for, you work with coworkers who um, may not follow Jesus. They don't share your faith. Um, you work within a, a system that kind of pursues profit uh, as its purpose, rather than a, a ministry that um, has other intentions as well. Um, so we just wanted to know kind of what, and, you know, obviously I'm your husband. I hear some of these <laughs> stories firsthand when you come home from work every day. But um, what are some of the unique challenges um, that you experience as a as Jesus follower in that kind of a context? Yeah, you're going to have to prompt me and be like, remember when this happened to you and this is what you came home and said to me? Say, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was struggling yeah. with at that point, <laughs> because it really it really does change a lot. There are a lot of unique challenges. And I think the most obvious one is, of course, the moral versus immoral choices when you're working for a company that's not a Christian company. Hollywood is a really great company, but with every, with every business that's seeking a profit, I mean, there's the temptation for greed and selfishness and not putting people and their well-being first to yeah, overcome your choices to actually do things the right way and the way that God would want you to do them. That's honoring to him. So that's the most obvious choice, but I think it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. And my biggest challenge has probably been to continue to walk in the way of Jesus and in the lifestyle of Jesus while being surrounded by a culture of just relentless productivity. And this just cycle of restlessness, because it's always the, our goals are, you know, always make more money, sell more chairs, put out more designs, make sure more patios have Pollywood furniture. And those are all really, really good things. And I think that Pollywood does that well, but it's so easy to be consumed by that culture and just get into a cycle of never having enough. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And working in the business world doesn't always feel like that. So it's interesting to stop and say, hmm, in what ways am I not walking in the way of Jesus right now? And I'm not being a disciple of Jesus because I've really been overcome by this go, go, go cycle of trying to make more and produce more and be more. So I think that that is probably the biggest personal struggle I've had working in the secular workplace. And I think what's what I hear you kind of describing is like, this isn't for Hollywood to be a good business, they need to be pursuing uh, certain goals and initiatives uh, to grow and um, to sell their product. So it's not necessarily like Hollywood that it's, it's that being in that environment can uh, we are formed by the environments we're a part of and sometimes or deformed. And, and sometimes as Jesus followers, if we're trying to be formed in a certain way, uh, we sort of have to guard how the environment around us is shaping us. And what I hear is just the business environment, the productivity, the goals and initiatives, which sometimes are good, but like it can really quickly like tell you that you are uh, sort of, <laughs> you are what you produce. You are the sum of what you what you uh, produce and, and what you, the value you bring to the table says something about the value of you as a person. Yes, that is very, very interesting to, yeah, to have to separate those. It takes a lot of intentionality and a lot of prayer because you're working in a business that has a revenue goals and everything has to be measured. So we have to be able to measure your, your work. And sometimes that gets associated with your value and your worth. And yeah. 
that can get really scary if those lines get blurred and you're not secure in who you are and where your value comes from. Yeah. And it's funny as we're talking about this, I know in just about every episode, I have to sneak in some John Mark Comer somehow, but I know, I know that you I read. I knew that was coming. Yeah, yeah. You I knew that you like the biggest John Mark Comer evangelist I've ever met. <laughs> I am going to be the second because yeah. I, yeah, I love his theology. I love his work. And, and uh, me too. And uh, I know you read the book, Ruthless Elimination Theory. And so I, I'm sure that, um, I mean, it's a convicting book, so I'm sure reading that and then being in the, uh, so yeah, check out Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There's a little plug. We ought to get commission or something, you know, like some, yeah. some cut of royalty. No, I'm just we kidding. Should, we should mention that this is not in any way associated with Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, would you like me to give you guys the brand pillars so that you know what no. you're buying? <laughs> Let's not do that. Um. So, um, (laughs) Hollywood is a fantastic company and they make um, really solid, uh, quality products and, um, use the promo code theologizing. Five percent off. Sorry, did not get that approved. Um, We are, we are monetizing our, uh, podcast. No. Okay. So one of the things I think that can happen is we tend to divide. I, well, I think sometimes within our sort of our Christian subcultures, there can be this perceived divide between the sacred and secular. Um, And I think there certainly are some secular or culturalities that are corrupt. Uh, But I would say, and you can disagree with me here, but I would say for the most part, the secular is amoral. Um, How do you see your work, you know, sort of outside of the church how do you see your work and what you do as it relates to your identity as a Jesus follower? How does what you do, uh, how does what you do sort of fit into your identity as a kingdom citizen? You said amoral, right? Not yes. immoral. Amoral, sorry. <laughs> the secular amoral. is amoral, meaning without moral. Without yeah. Just want to clarify. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. There's nothing inherently good or inherently bad about selling chairs, <laughs> but I look at it, you know, I, I struggled with this. I struggle with this a lot, to be honest with you, because in, I feel like in this world and on this side of heaven, um, we're always going to have a little bit of nagging in our hearts, kind of telling us that what we're doing isn't exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And I think that points us to a greater reality that, yeah, we're, we're really not, we weren't really created to live in the world like this, but this is almost the circumstance that we have right now that we're in a state of separation from God. So we could hide ourselves away and try to separate ourselves completely from from the world being posed with this sacred versus secular mindset and say, I'm just going to put myself in everything that's sacred and and rid myself of everything that's secular. Or you can understand the world as a landscape that, you know, everything is encompassed by the kingdom of God and it's pervasive and you have a chance to do things that are eternal. Even if you're looking at what you're doing and you're like, what does selling chairs have to do with the kingdom of heaven? (laughs) It's like, well, a lot of things like, I get to, I get to serve people and I get to look at what is eternal about my day to day and choose to do those things for the kingdom of God, knowing that those things have eternal value. And I think there was like, there's just this thing, misconception, especially going to a Christian college and even growing up in the church is that like the real Christians the true Jesus followers, they go into ministry. But then the people who aren't serious about their faith will just do regular jobs. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, if you're walking in a true Christian community, you're going to find out that that's just absolutely not true. Yeah. But that's one of our biggest weapons against the world is sending serious 
solid Jesus followers out into the world to do a ton of things to redeem what they are doing because everything is a part of the created world. And I think that God wants us to redeem everything that we can for him and bring his goodness into those, into those places. So I guess for me, like, I just try to go in every day and think like, okay, what is eternal about what I'm doing right now? What, where is the eternal investment? And every single day I find it. I think when, I guess when you like subscribe to this idea of like, I need to separate myself from the secular, like Jesus incarnated into the secular and he redeemed it. Like, you know, calling the first disciples in Matthew four, you know, what does fishing have to do with the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus said, come follow me and I'll help you fish for, like he, he approached those people in that context and called them to himself. And we're, we're called to do the same. I love this um, quote from N.T. Wright, uh, his book, Surprised by Hope. Uh, He writes, um, what you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it all behind altogether, as the hymn so mistakenly puts it. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Uh, Another way to put it is he suggests that there are things we do that are somehow mysteriously part of the unfolding kingdom of God and part of the renewal of all things. And I think like, yeah, there's the ways you probably go in and have opportunities to connect with people or love people. Or, um, I mean, I'm sure there's opportunities for you to be someone in the, like, that's, uh, uh, like shapes the culture where you don't, um, where you maybe try to initiate healthy, interactions with people but i would say building quality furniture out of recycled goods and having a creative well-designed useful product that then becomes something people sit around their bonfires and experience community that like even what you are producing as long as it doesn't get hijacked by you know, completely 100% hijacked by greed uh, is a way you reflect the image of God and you live into like the kingdom, you know? Totally. And like you had on one thing for sure that we get to do is it's creating beauty and, and value out of something that's not valuable. Garbage. Out, of milk jugs. <laughs> out of Out of literal garbage. <laughs> like we have, yeah. we have a um, recycling center on our plant that if you walk through it like it stinks (laughs) because we're buying these bales of recycled garbage and making them into beautiful furniture like that's restoration that's really great so like that's a very tangible example of a way that we can work out our image of god and bring value into the world from something that doesn't have value and then also something that i don't know if we like have touched on yet because obviously we talked about loving people and giving them value and and setting a culture and Obviously, the body of Christ is made up of human beings, but God's creation also work was a part of it. Like humans were supposed to work and that work was supposed to be life-giving and that work wasn't just sitting around talking about the Bible and making sure people follow Jesus. That work was like cultivating the earth and building things and using, I mean, you could translate into a lot of things like engineering and writing and in the garden of Eden, we were still humans. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're still humans now. Obviously yeah. we have brokenness and sin, but in our humanness and in our work, we are playing out something that God actually created us to do. And it doesn't feel right all the time because we're living in a broken world, but even just working and creating is something that I think is really honoring to God. So there's a great book by John Mark Homer called the garden city. 
where he talks about homer.com <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't I read that one <laughs> you, you should read the garden uh you should read garden city uh talks about yeah the the garden of eden and the city of jerusalem but like the work and but it, but you do point something out and i think it's i just want to affirm what you're saying and just encourage listeners like you can like god uh put adam and eve in the garden to work it and care for it so like like I think sometimes we think work is a result of the fall, like work is because of sin, work is bad. Um, the work, the work, the ground was cursed, um, which is also another interesting, I did a series in Genesis with our church and it's interesting, God doesn't curse Adam and Eve. Like we often think like he cursed humans, like he, the ground is cursed and the snake is cursed. Um, but anyways, that's a side note. Uh, it's the the toil in work. I think it's the trying to find our identity in work that is cursed. But work itself, like being creative, it, beings that reflect the Creator God, is is actually uh, good and and whole and things. And I just I'm actually really captivated. I, I didn't think about it fully until you said it. But like the furniture you make is like uh like good like it's like good news furniture. It like it's a it is a, uh, like a, a real tangible metaphor of the gospel. Like I love that so much <laughs> and like wish that I, I mean, Hollywood does have a lot of Christian people that work there. So it's cool. You can kind of see the cultural, uh, what, what am I trying to say? The cultural characteristics of a Christian company come out, even though they don't really say it. So mm -hmm. that's kind of awesome. But if I said good news furniture to somebody, <laughs> oh, I love that. That's, yeah. That's but yeah, how, how much preach? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. how much better of a metaphor is it than you? You take stuff that's literally garbage and you make. Again, I I just can't get away from the image of not just you make pretty furniture, but that furniture ends up being. Uh, Useful. something that facilitates community and it's it becomes about and this is probably in some of your guys's like vision and marketing stuff but it becomes about the people that sit in the furniture and and eat a, a, a hot dog together you know and roast s'mores or whatever but anyways i digress uh, matt i think you need to you need to take over i'm, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm chasing on, rabbits man <laughs> i was going to comment on the idea of biblical work and i'm reading i'm reading exodus right now um, just for like personal study and I'm noticing that uh, you can kind of see because you know the story of Pharaoh uh, forcing the Israelites in hard labor uh, you can kind of see this juxtaposition between Genesis and Exodus you know work under the leadership of God you know like Joseph Abraham um, that is work that is that leads to life and prosperity what Whereas work under a tyrant, right, you know, worldly work for human worldly means uh, leads to exhaustion and, and, and enslavement. And I think that's um, just an important detail uh, that we can see in the scriptures that just that the juxtaposition between um, how God views work and his intention for it and how humans do when when we're you know, affected by sin. So, yeah. I think that that goes back to the first question that you guys asked me is what are, what are some of the struggles? I think that's a perfect way to put it is that you kind of have a choice when you're working in, I think you have a choice really when you're working anywhere. I mm -hmm. think you can get wrapped up in that when you work at a church, mm -hmm. like you can get, you can be enslaved mm -hmm. by the work of the world or you can be freed by participating and collaborating in the work of the kingdom. Yeah. I mean, I think the the temptation in the church is to be like the older son in the parable of the prodigal son who thinks his worth or his sonship is anchored in like he's slave for the father. And so, yeah, I think there's, it's not a, and that's maybe goes back to, it's not a sacred secular divide. It's, it's a, um, it's sort of a kingdom mentality or a, um, a worldly mentality and the, the worldly mentality says I'm worth what I produce. So yeah. it's, it's what I produce is sermon. So I'm worth like, or growing churches or whatever, like my worth is rooted in, in all of that. And it's like, I can buy into that or I can 
um, buy into the kingdom narrative. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. So we talked about kind of some of the challenges that you face, uh, but what are some of the kind of in the same vein, um, what are some of the opportunities that you have to be, uh, I guess, salt and light for your, your co-workers, you know, as Jesus put it? Yeah. I want to walk away from every conversation that I have and have people feel that they are valuable and worthy humans. That That's my number one goal at work because I believe that God loves and cherishes each and every one of them. And you can kind of see you can kind of see the culture of just people just trying to figure out what the heck they're doing with their lives and whether they matter and whether their work matters. And I want them to know that not only their work matters, but regardless of what they're able to produce, that they're just them being created in the image of God is makes them worthy. And I got to add a disclaimer. Like if my coworkers listen to this, they'd probably be like, Ooh, I don't always feel like that when I talk with her. <laughs> so it does, it's a, it's a sanctification process for me too, to not get wrapped up in just what people can produce and the, and what they, what they can do for me, what they can do for my projects and what kind of tasks they can complete and what I need the, them to get done. But that every interaction with me and we're using the work that they're doing as a vehicle for them to experience their worth and their value. That's, that's kind of what I want to, to do. And if I have the chance to ever explain why I act like that, and I want to be able to explain that it's because I know that they're created in the image of God and there's a God that loves them and thinks that their life is extremely valuable. And so do I. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I, uh, I just, I resonate with what you said that you like want every person you interact with to have that experience, but uh, but you know, you're not sure you do that perfectly all the time. Uh, I, I often, you know, I'm a pastor and so I have people in my congregation and I want people to know, like, I just fundamentally believe that God delights in their existence. And I want them to, I want them to sense that, but there are times I walk away and I'm like, I think my introversion was taking over or I'm like, I think maybe I was in my head about my sermon and criticizing something. And I'm like, man, was I really present or like, did I look glazed over? And it's just like, man, I really hope people sense that they matter when they interact with me, but I am pretty sure I botch it up sometimes. So um, I guess that was just me taking an opportunity to confess. My version of that is, wow, I just steamrolled that person in that conversation. Mm -hmm. I really need to go back and apologize. Yeah. 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 And then the other part of the version is I'm great at like shooting the breeze with you guys and talking about this stuff, like nerding out on like sort of theological stuff. But sometimes uh, like I don't watch football or and things and I limit news intake because it hurts my soul. And so sometimes I'm like with the sort of those brief interactions, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am socially awkward. Like <laughs> it's like uh how are you doing you know, good you know during good. my <laughs> during my time as a, a youth pastor I kind of learned that people like that like they just like that you would just understand that you're not going to try to be something you're not so like my students knew that I'm a dork I'm a nerd and I'm kind of like a lame dad and yeah that's just kind of how they treated me and I was fine with that I loved it because you know I didn't want to didn't want to try to I don't you know, need to become a teenager to minister to teenagers I think the same th kind of thing applies here. Like you don't need to become worldly to minister to the world. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good word. Good word, Matt. That'll preach. Um, <laughs> That'll preach. <laughs> uh, so we've, I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit before on the podcast, but sometimes we can view uh, our, well, actually, yeah, we talked about it when we interviewed someone who was a pastor for a while. Um, we can sometimes view our day jobs and our calling, what we might call our calling as a Jesus follower as sort of synonymous or like that my, my job has to 
be the same as my calling as a Jesus follower. How, how do you understand, Elisa, sort of the overlap and then maybe the separation of your occupation and your vocation, you know, your job and your calling, what you're, what you do and, and what kind of helps bring, helps provide for your family and then what God is uniquely gifted and wired and sort of burdened, maybe even like giving you passion for how do you, where's the overlap and separation? I like that word burdened that you use because I've certainly felt that before. I've always been the person that once I take something on, I become burdened by it. And I just want to do the best that I can possibly do. Don't ask Matt about home projects because I don't feel the exact same way about those things. But with work, good enough. <laughs> just my education, like those things have always been just like they become, they become part of me. And that's been a good thing because I think I've been able to produce really good results. And that's always been celebrated in culture. Like, wow, Elisa just gives a hundred percent to everything that she does. But it also it started to seep into that. This is my calling and this is my mission. And if I can't do this, or if I don't do this, what can I say for myself? Mm. And I really struggled with that probably six months to a year into this new job because I was in a new role. I really wanted to prove that I could do it. I just wanted to do a good job because that's the kind of person that I am. But I, I internalized that so much and made that into my calling that when I experienced frustration or when I experienced processes that didn't make sense, or when I experienced conflict with my supervisor or maybe differing opinions and just trying to, trying to push through those things and just do better, be better, make things better. Man, it felt like bashing my head against a wall, to be honest with you. And it was very... It not only caused like discomfort, but it caused distress because yeah. I had just internalized my job so deeply and made it a part of my calling. And one response to that, that I think I tried, is like swinging the complete other way on the pendulum and just being like, I don't care. I'm just mm. going to go to my job 40 hours a week, get a paycheck, cash it in, come home and act like it never happened. And you can do that too. And I think that some people do that, but it very quickly became almost as exhausting as the other option. Because in that scenario, you're spending 40 hours of your work week disconnecting from who you want to be like disconnecting from your life. Mm. You're, you're like literally turning it off and spending 40 hours a week being a zombie. Yeah. And then trying to find out what you're supposed to do with your life and, and fulfill your passions and fulfill your, your calling in the other hours when you're supposed to be like sleeping and eating. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, there's, there's not enough hours in the day. So option one of just internalizing my whole job and making it my identity and my calling, not an option. Option two, honing it in or what is it called? Phoning it in and just going to work and cashing the paycheck. That was pretty soul sucking as well. And I think like there has to be a middle ground. I know that there is. And I really have found hope in I really have found hope in finding what's internal about my job because I really think that under God's call for us, when you think about your call for your life, there really are so many things that you could do that could be glorifying to God. And there are so many things that you could do right where you are that can fulfill that calling. And I spoke to one of those earlier, like one of those for me is I want to, I want to disciple people and lead people in a way so that they can understand their worth in Christ and find like what he has created them to do. That's something that's really, really important to me. And I can do that in my job because I work on a mm -hmm. team with human beings. So 
I do like to focus on that. And I do like to use my work and my tasks as a vehicle to do that. So that's how I've kind of come to find some peace with my job that, you know, wasn't exactly what I thought I was going to be doing. And sometimes I can get in my head and say like, oh, I'm not following what God has called me to do. But I like to widen that and say like, there's a lot of things that I can do to live out my calling and my mission, even though I'm not working in the church as a youth pastor, even though I'm not being a counselor, lots of opportunities. Yeah. And you know, that's where, and you have to be careful with this because I think it can be, um, you don't, I, I'm not saying this for it to be serving the interests of the organization, but this is where the local church can be really life-giving too, is because sometimes you find opportunity in the local church. So you're not a youth pastor, but you are able to, you volunteer. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't bring home the bacon as they say, but like, but you're able to. Sometimes she about, brings home that smell like bacon. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. From those, from those stinky <laughs> middle schoolers. Yeah. I do, I, I do bring home pizza that sometimes have, has bacon on it. Bacon go. and pepperoni, yo. The best combination. <laughs> uh, the good perk is sometimes when they have an event, so I get the extra pizza. <laughs> oh, man. That, you know, that's one of the things. After being youth pastor for years and all the pizza I've eaten, like, I still, like, easily can eat pizza once a week. Oh, yeah. Like, sure. easily. And, and not, like, I still love it. But uh, this we, was a like, huge rabbit trail. Anyway, keep it was. It was digressive. The, the point was, you're, you're, uh, there are parts of your calling too that sometimes can be lived out and found in the midst of the community that we call the local church. And whether that's an organized, organized institutionalized church or a small group community, like all the different expressions of church, I don't necessarily want to get in that. It's just sometimes uh, my point is like our calling and our gifts can be um, lived out in a local community. But what was interesting, actually, what I found helpful about what you said, because I've been around people young, sometimes young people, young adults or college students who um, like maybe didn't feel a distinct calling from God that had a direct vocational equivalent. And in, in that sense, thought they didn't have a calling uh, because whatever passions they had didn't line up with a specific career. And that's really disorienting. And there's sort of just this, this very either or mentality, like, my career or the major, if they're college students, the major I declare, it has to be like, I have to find God's calling for my job. And sometimes my advice to them was like, you know, sometimes like what God's called you to do may not directly overlap with your career. Like you may have a career and it, it's just that, like, it's what you, it's how you are going to make money and provide for your family, but you live out your calling in other ways. But, and I think for some people that's life giving, but what you said that I'm going to take into account is uh, the, the complete sort of that, that either or mentality of, I need to make sure I'm not telling them to just sort of clock in, clock out, become a zombie, like somehow. So your calling and passions may not have a direct career equivalent, but that doesn't mean you just treat your career like a, a means to an end to get a paycheck. You are still a Jesus follower in that space. Yep. And so that was just helpful for me. I think, um, I don't know if it's a human thing or, a, sometimes a Christian subculture church thing or what it is, but I, I find we just, there's so many either or sort of dichotomies we get, uh, we, we oscillate to extremes. I feel like so often. And a lot of times the healthiest space is somewhere in the tension. Um, but yeah, anyways. yes. And it's, it's just being comfortable with the truth that you are not disappointing God. <laughs> like I, yeah. and that's just speaking from my perspective. I know that there are different kind of lies that people hear, but God did not call me to be a program manager at Hollywood, but I am fully confident that where I'm in my life, I'm, I am following Jesus yeah. wholeheartedly. And I have no doubt about that. Yeah. It's a good word. Yeah, I, I find myself struggling with that too as I grew older, went to college. Like I, I just felt this pressure. Like there was one specific thing that God wants me to do in my life, and I have to find it and do it. 
And if I don't, then I'm being disobedient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is a extremely, one, it's a self-limiting way of thinking. And it's also, it's extremely stressful and it doesn't really lead to a life-giving relationship with God because it, it just makes you feel like, you know, he's just there shaking his head at you at every turn you make. But, you know, the Bible says like, God makes his will clear, like seek, seek him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. That's Proverbs 3, 6. Um, and I think we can, you know, there's freedom to be found in that mentality that like, you know, you might not be exactly where you are called to be in life, but, but God has a role for you in that space. Um, I go back to the Israelites in Egypt, like God, God, obviously that was not where God wanted them to end up. Um, but there was so much good that came out of that. You know, they saved Egypt from a famine. They were, they helped the nation prosper. So um, just being where you are and, and serving God in that context, I think is a really important part of understanding what calling is. Yeah. One of the, one of the, it, it can be freeing or it, it can you know, you can interpret it in a way that's uh, not as freeing, but one of the freeing realizations for me before sort of making the transition where I'm at is like, um, my value isn't replaceable, um, but my role is like, I'm not letting, like, I, I don't, I don't have to be a pastor. Like, I think I very much, uh, I think I'm, where I'm supposed to be right now. Uh, but I don't have to, like, I could still be God's beloved son. I could probably still live out the kingdom of God and in the ethics of following Jesus and, and, you know, pursue other careers. Um, and there's someone else, like, I'm not, I believe God's uniquely gifted and wired us and like our value is unique, but um, the future of the church <laughs> or, or even the specific local church I'm at is, is not all depend on me being the one who's the lead pastor. Like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes that's freeing to realize like, in a sense, you're replaceable. Your value is not, but like I'm replaceable and that's okay. Like, God's going to move, move things along. You know, he can, he can do it through a lot of means, I guess is, is where I could put you it. You sound kind of Calvinist, Anthony. You might want to be careful. <laughs> ah. He's an orchestra director, not a chess, <laughs> not a chess master. There you go. He's I a like- jazz musician, not a conductor. <laughs> mm. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> I like what you said because it does provide freedom when your identity is not attached to what you do. Because yeah. when your identity is attached to what you do, then that can be very that it can be a very damning thing to hear. I'm replaceable. Yeah. Yeah. What I do could be done just as well by somebody else. Yep. And if that statement like hurts you, then that's probably a really good indicator that mm, like where where does your identity lie? And I think that that can be a struggle for a lot of people in the workplace. Well, and the rubber meets the, like, this isn't just a theoretical thing. Like people are told all the time, like, um, I'm sorry, we are not rehiring, uh, or I'm sorry, we are, um, uh, sort of what, what is it when you like collapse a position or something like we like are restructuring. Like, yeah. Restructuring. Yeah. Restructuring. Yeah, restru- that's the business way of saying we're gonna fire a bunch of people yeah yeah what, what are all the nice ways to say you're fired <laughs> we appreciate your contributions but we no longer need your services anyway the company is going in a different direction <laughs> yeah there you go but but so we're joking but seriously if our identities are wrapped up in that and my worth is that if that day comes or layoffs happen or or whatever it's, it's, it's already a disorienting transition, but that just makes it almost um, like disorienting to like someplace deep in your soul. And, and it's, uh, 
you realize very quickly, like I need, my value needs to be anchored in something a little bit more uh, eternal, you know, than temporal. Matt, do you have another question for me? I do. I just had to read it because, like, you, it was kind of just about like words of encouragement, which I think we've kind of already covered a little bit, unless you had something else to add. So I can like skip that part of the question. What? I really did. I saved something because I wanted to say That's okay. Something. That's okay. While Anthony was talking, I was like, oh, I'll save that for the next question, but I can't remember what it was. So, um, do you have any kind of blurt, like, see if, say I'm someone who uh, is struggling with this concept of like, you know, I seem, I lack purpose in my job. Um, my job is really you know, soul sucking. Um, what, what would you say to that person? Um, kind of in light of your experiences, do you have any words of encouragement for them? Um, or any suggestions? Like, how do you, after, obviously you go through those things, um, how do you kind of refill your cup, so to speak? Mm -hmm. The thing that has helped me most, and I've said it multiple times, is look for what's eternal in what you do and pray about what's eternal. Because sometimes it's kind of hard to see. I'm really lucky to be able to have a really tangible example of bringing taking garbage and making it beautiful furniture. <laughs> it's really obvious. But if you're feeling like, your job isn't serving you any purpose or it's just not fitting with what God is calling you to do. I mean, obviously you can leave. I think that we have the freedom to do that, <laughs> but I think that there's also something really beneficial about being in that discomfort and finding your identity and value as a human being in Christ, no matter what your job is and finding out what type of an eternal impact you can make with tons of different vehicles, meaning like what, what you do, we can do so many things and make an eternal impact. And if you can find that out, or at least journey through that, not find it out, because it's not like it's a lock and key, you need to figure something out. But if you can journey through that with Jesus and learn something about making something eternal out of what you at one time saw as purposeless, that can be a really, really important part of your spiritual growth that will follow you to whatever job you go to. And I think that's what I'm learning right now. And I'm really excited to see like how many more options there really are for me to bring value to the kingdom of God. Because before I was like, Matt, like I felt really stressed out. I need to find the one thing that God's calling me to do. And if I'm not doing it, then I'm not valuable to God's kingdom. And that's just simply not true. So pray about and journey with Jesus about what's eternal in your work. And I think that you'll find a little bit more purpose and probably more joy in going into your nine to five job. You know, I think, or if you uh, stay at home, we haven't really addressed that. So true. things but like finding things that are eternal in your your life at home mm -hmm. huh? reading my daughter a bible story before she goes to bed <laughs> is is eternally significant um listening to worship music in the car and listening to her sing along you know is eternally significant so just little things like that um sometimes it's a good reminder like they might seem mundane but um, they're not. And I like here in Goshen, there's a lot of RV companies. And so I think of some of my, my neighbors who work in these factories and it's really, it's a lot of it's really mundane work. You know, they worked on, they work on a line uh, helping produce, manufacture various uh, components that go into an RV. And sometimes I, I think, I think one of the, ways I would say that you can try to find eternal value in what you do is through the people you work with. So if you have coworkers, um, just see, see an opportunity. You know what? I am salt and light. Uh, I, I am here to be a blessing to other people and just try to have that lens or that mentality. But then also like 
and this may be easier said than done. Like this isn't my reality, but I'm just imagining like, you know, those components you're making for an RV are going to become something that facilitates vacation and memories for families and like, you know, all the places this, these, these, uh, this RV is going to go and, and all the, the love that hopefully, you know, you don't know, but hopefully it can be shared, you know, um, if in, in Warsaw, there's those orthopedic companies. So it's like, you know, you're helping create uh, something that's going to help someone's grandma, you know, be more mobile and pain-free possibly. And like, those are life, like life-giving things. So if there's something, so maybe another way I would say to like that eternally valuable, I would maybe also, you could maybe reframe it. Like what is life-giving? Um, if it's life-giving, I think it glorifies God. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to say that. I think anything where you can see life is being created or life is being given, that is very much a value of God. And it's a, I mean, it's original calling, you know, we were created to be fruitful and multiply in that. I don't think that just means having babies. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it means, you know, God created the world and it was good, but he created mankind to work and serve it and love it and take care of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just think that's a really significant um, perspective, um, how you are creating life through your work. I think that's actually in a way, fulfilling that commandment to be fruitful. Uh, this wasn't a question that we originally planned to ask, but as I'm thinking about this too, I, I just, um, in both of you could, I think we could just sort of pose this question. I, I could pose it to both of you, but um, I think one of the really important things that can help us not become so either caught up in the the hustle and bustle that we kind of alluded to earlier, that production, that, that high, just um, intense production mentality, the way we can help our identities not be wrapped up in it uh, involves how we, I guess, sort of uh, step away from, you know, the biblical, maybe Sabbath from it or like rest from it or unplug. So um, when you clock out, when you are you know, when you leave Hollywood or you leave your computer, um, how do you refill your cup or renew your soul or, you know, be a person created in the image of God, uh, a beloved daughter of God that, you know, ha has nothing to do with the work you do? The boundaries that I set is I take work apps off my phone. When I leave, I will only work on weekends and nights under extenuating circumstances. And I always understand that I'm doing it by choice and not out of necessity. And even the things, Sabbath has become very important to us. And sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes I'm bad at it. But even the, the work around the house that I've chosen not to do because I need rest. And I need to detach from the overproduction mentality. If I, if I could just sell more chairs, I'd be happy. If I could just keep my dishes cleaned, I would be happy. If I could just get the um, trim done in my bathroom, I would finally be happy. <laughs> I need to get off of those, those wheels and know that my happy does, doesn't lie in my ability to achieve those things. So sometimes I choose to not fold the laundry or not do the dishes and say my time with my daughter and actually my, my rest and my ability to rejuvenate is much more important than this. So those are some of the ways that I unplug. And some people just simply don't even know how to unplug. Mm -hmm. They just, they just won't leave it at work and they use exhaustion as a status symbol mm -hmm. and they use the hours in the work week that they work as a status symbol and i've just learned to not respect that and stop using that as a badge of honor because it's not yeah yeah i'm with you on that and i 
uh, I put a time limit on some of my apps so I don't take them off, but I put a time limit and there's a screen time thing. And one of the apps I put a time limit on was my Gmail. And so um, it really has been, it's just, it's very life-giving because I would compulsively check my email sometimes. Um, I don't know. And I don't even know why. I'm, I'm curious, even though Matt, you're not the guest, uh, a lot of your time, uh, you, you teach your professor Matt, but there's also some of your time that's spent at home with your daughter. Um, and so your way of unplugging is not going home. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe there are ways you unplug at home, but like it, it sometimes it's, it's the separation is probably, or, or the way that you refill is probably a little different. So, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm assuming here, but what about you? How do you, how do you be a human being again? It's kind of hard to nail down because I haven't completely mastered that yet. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. I, um, I teach part of the year at Grace um, and I do some tutoring on the side, this work from home. So I'm home a lot. Um, and when my daughter doesn't go to daycare, I have her all day, normally Fridays. It's a day I spend with her uh, all day. And I don't know if you don't have kids, maybe, maybe this sounds crazy to you, but having a three-year-old around your ankles all day is, is really tiring. Um, and she is, she's like my wife, like she is so uh, like extroverted, like she needs to be around me all the time. I can't just say April, go and play by yourself. Cause she, she has no idea how to, how to play by herself. Like even today, um, I was cooking dinner and she was like, daddy, can you play with me? And I'm like, no, I'm cooking dinner. And she stomped her foot and she goes, fine. I play by myself. <laughs> and she just went <laughs> in the room and just like, just like really like in like an attitude, like grabbed her blocks and just like dumped them on the floor. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's digressing, but it, yeah, it is, it is tiring, especially me as an introvert. Like I need time, I need time for myself. And so unplugging. Um, sometimes looks like, you know, Elisa the other day, uh, Elisa just said, Hey, I'll pick up April from daycare. You go and do something that is life-giving for you. And I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a few books and got Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so, um, it's just kind of like getting, getting away from that responsibility. Um, I also utilize nap time for my own rest and a lot of the times that means kind of just like taking a nap for 30 minutes myself and not being ashamed of that because <laughs> yeah sometimes I need it I wake up early because I I feel better throughout the day when I wake up early and sometimes that means I'm tired by noon yep. and I need a nap so um, yeah and I guess my hobbies as well like those are like I love to read and I I'm I'm trying to kind of uh, in between my, you know, my fiction books that I buzz through in like a week or two, I try to kind of intersperse some more spiritually fulfilling things, whether that's just like reading the Bible for a couple of minutes every morning. Like I said, I'm reading through Exodus right now, um, or, uh, reading just kind of a, I'm reading, um, Sacred Pathways, we talked about that before on this podcast. I haven't actually read it all the way through. So I'm reading that right now. Um, just kind of kind of learning about that. So yeah, I, that was a long-winded answer, but- No, it's um, good. I think it's helpful. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, we talked about the meaningfulness of work, but I think it's helpful to talk about the meaningfulness of like stepping away from work and being a human. And then what does that look like for someone who I either works from home or is- uh, a stay-at-home parent because um, they need to as well. So I was, uh, I wanted to hear from both of you. Did you eat at Chick-fil-A inside Chick-fil-A by yourself? No, I, oh. for some reason, I love eating in the car. Like, oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's driving while eating. It's like, it's, I don't know, Elisa, you know, it's weird. Maybe it's a weird thing that we both connect on, but like, it's so much fun. <laughs> You could tell that Anthony did not connect with that. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> because Anthony's car has always been like immaculate and I'll get in there and there's like a speck of dust on the on the 
dashboard is like, I'm so sorry, sorry, it's a disaster in here. My car is just like French fries, just like stuck <laughs> between the sheets. And, um, uh, that's oh probably why. There's old like lettuce that's just been sitting there on my <laughs> steering wheel column for, for weeks. Oh, man. So uh, what I like to do is I like to get, and there's a certain thing I order at Chick-fil-A because it's easy driving food. Um, it's just the number one. There's no toppings, like there's just pickles on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't get my car too messy. And then I put on a podcast and I just drive. So and it's relaxing to me. I like it. This is fun. We've not talked about this before, but I'm enjoying this. Yeah. It's a weird thing about me that not that not a lot of people know. Yeah. So you like I to eat while driving. <laughs> but I used to that. never want to I mean I'm sad at restaurants and they get alone. That's oh yeah. I used to never want to do that, but now I'm like kind of okay with uh, going and eating. But well, well, Elisa, <laughs> where do we there go? A, <laughs> yeah, no, well, yeah, I think um, our jobs are meaningful and there's meaningful opportunities. There's meaningful opportunities as a follower of Jesus to look for the life giving, eternally valuable things, but there's also a lot of life that can be found when you step away. <laughs> And you remember you're not, you are not what you produce and having healthy ways to just be a human being uh, is good. Is there anything you would like to add? Or uh, if, um, I don't know, should we put, you know, mention Pollywoods, they want to look at the website, like where they go and uh, you're kind of as long as we can from name drop, like giving them any sort of advertisement. Wood.com. No, this was fantastic. Thanks for having me on. I really love, I I just love how Jesus has made a difference in all of our lives. And it's not compartmentalized to one thing or another, but that he is even in our workplace. And I'm so grateful that we have a God like that. Yeah. Amazing. Me too. And I'm just thankful to spend time with both of you. Both are some of my favorite people. And I think we're just going to have to make, we're just going to have to get Emily on here and, uh, and make, make that happen and just get all four of us. We can do a Valentine's day episode in March. Yeah. Special or yeah. Someone going to arrest us for that. Nope. Nope. You're right. Even a government holiday. It's not. So the government doesn't care. This, This is, this is our podcast. We'll do what we want. Hallmark might. Yeah, uh, life. We're oh. going out of business. So. <laughs> Man, how many how many mantras do we have? Theologizing life, not half bad. <laughs> Theologizing life, we do what we want. <laughs> Theologizing life, not your grandma's podcast because your grandma probably doesn't listen to podcasts. <laughs> uh, well, we should probably we should probably wrap it up. So, you know. Uh, if you found this encouraging or you've any of our episodes, I want to encourage you to like or share. You can even rate us on iTunes. I'm, I hear that with uh, the metrics and all that stuff uh, that would help widen our listener base uh, until next time. Thanks for joining me and Matt and Elisa Tracy for Theologizing Life. We'll talk to you next time.